Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This morning, I want to, uh, I want to share with you a message simply entitled, Not Easily Angered. Now, I'm going to give you a test question. And when I was in school, this question, I love these type of test questions because it's going to be true or false. And true or false questions, you always have a 50% chance of getting them right. So I like those much better than multiple choice where you only got a 25% chance. 50% chance of getting this right. On your mark, get so true or false, I, when I say I, I mean you, I am easily angered, true or false. Just answer that to yourself. Then, If you're sitting next to a friend or a spouse, you can ask them, hey, this is what I thought my answer is. Am I, am I right or wrong? All right. How about the next question? True or false? We live in an easily angered culture today. True? Do you have a daily commute? Right? Would you say that the drivers between Cabot and Little Rock are easily angered? Yes or no? Would you say the people in the checkout line at Walmart are easily angered? Yes or no? If you work in public sales or customer service, would you say most people are easily angered? True or false? You know, what's scariest of all these situations is that sometimes I find myself being easily angered or angered more easily than I should be. And then sometimes I find myself being easily angered. I'm not just being easily angered. I'm being easily angered about things that don't matter. Anyone honest enough to say in this room this morning, sometimes I'm easily angered about things that don't matter? The rest of you are amazing. (laughs) Please write your book and let me read it. Because I find myself getting easily angered about things that don't matter. And so this message, it's really been helping me as I've prayed through it the last week or so. Uh, Because here's the thing, when anger occurs easily, there's a reason it occurs easily. It occurs easily because love is absent or a love for self is ruling the moment. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. And here's the next one. It is not easily angered. So if anger comes easily, then love must be exiting or suppressed by something else. And anger, by the way, in itself is not a sin. Ephesians chapter 4 Paul gives us this instruction, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Here's why this important message is so important today. is because there's a connection between footholds in your life and anger in your life. So Father, 
I pray this morning you'll help me speak this word that you want us to hear. I pray that we as your people will receive it so that we can better serve you, better represent you, and enjoy greater fellowship with you and one another. Help me to speak what you want us to hear. Help me to speak it above my own ability. Help us to even hear it beyond my ability, my ability to, to communicate it. And we commit ourselves to respond to the Spirit's voice with our submission and our obedience and our application, and we'll give you thanks for it. Everybody in the room said amen. So we see from Scripture, being angry is not a sin. How many are you glad for that? Right? I'm so thankful that being angry is not a sin, or I would have major, major issues all the time. It's possible. It is very possible to be angry and not sin. Now, sometimes if our anger is out of control, you, you may say, no, pastor, it's not. See, once I, once I get angry, I immediately go to sin. Well, if that's the truth. Can I tell you, God's got freedom for you this morning, though that's not the point of my message. God's got freedom for you this morning. But I want to tell you, just I just want to, before I get into the text today, I want to remind you that it, it's, it's impossible to avoid anger. The only people who can avoid anger are people who don't care about anything or love anything. See, if you love your kids and someone messes with your kids, you're going to get angry about it. When I was a kid, my neighbor loved his grass, loved his yard. And so when I rode my bicycle across his yard, he got angry because he was in love with his yard. If you love your money, you get angry when you find out that someone tries to steal it or someone is thinking about raising your taxes, right? It kind of gets your blood boiling a little bit because anger, here's the thing, here's why this message is so important this morning. Anger is an indicator or a highlighter of what we value most. It's been said the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. So the only way to avoid anger is to live a life of indifference. But can I tell you, when Jesus walked planet Earth, he was anything but indifferent. Right? Jesus was passionate. He was loving. He cares for us. He cares for you today. He cares about what you're going through. And you cannot be passionate about something or someone. And then when that something or that someone is affected negatively, it not bother you. So this morning, we're going to look at five occasions where Jesus got angry. Now, some of you are like pushing back, you're looking for the eject button, and you're saying, no, 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 Jesus never got angry, right? There's a lot of, a lot of thought processes in people's minds today that says, Jesus, he was too sweet, too meek, too mild. I mean, just look at that picture of him with blonde hair, blue eyes, holding a lamb. That's an accurate picture of a man who was born in the Middle East, right? That, there's no way that guy ever gets angry. Yeah. But Jesus was passionate. Jesus was a man of great love. He still is a God of great love. And when you love something, 
When something messes with what you love, it causes a reaction. It's actually the love of Jesus, the love that Jesus has for you and me and for people that causes his anger to be seen at times. So this morning I'm going to share with you five occasions when Jesus got angry. Why? Because when you see what caused him to get anger, angry, at the same time, you're going to see and discover the heart of Jesus towards you. Because what makes a person angry is an indicator of what they love and what they're passionate about. Now, I'm going to ask you at the conclusion of this service today, are we loving what Jesus loves? And the way you're going to know if you love what Jesus loves is because what bothers Jesus bothers you. And if what bothers Jesus doesn't bother you, then that's an indicator that you don't love what Jesus loves. And I'm going to challenge us all to pray a prayer. God, help me love what you love, which means I'm going to be bothered by what bothers you. So I would double dog dare you to pay attention and then say that prayer with me at the end of the message. How about that? So why did, why did or when did? Some of you, you're still not believing me. And I understand some of us grew up I'm pretty sure I was about 18 years old before I discovered that Jesus liked me more than he was mad at me. Okay? I understand that. Some, some of you grew up like I did. You were pretty sure that Jesus was up in heaven with a lightning bolt just waiting for you to mess up so he could go, Bzzz! right? And somewhere around about eight, age 18, I finally discovered that, oh, Jesus loves me. He's actually for me and not against me. So I understand some of you, when I talk about Jesus being angry, you're like, Pastor, you're, you're like sending me back into parts of my life where I don't, where I was like, I just thought God was mad at me. I said, no, no, I'm not trying to send you back there. But I am trying to bring you into grips with the reality of, of, of the love of God and the passion of Jesus. The first time I want to look at this morning when Jesus came, became angry, and some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, yeah, I, I know when Jesus got angry because I remember the story in John chapter 2, where Jesus turned over the money changers in the temple. How many know that story? It's found in John chapter 2. It's found again in Mark's gospel. It's actually two different occasions at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the end of Jesus' ministry twice when Jesus uh, turned over uh, the money changers, turned over those. People used to, uh, to come to the temple. They would sacrifice. You had to present particular sacrifices for particular sins, and, and not everyone had pigeons or a lamb or whatever it is, their particular sin caused for them to sacrifice to God. This is before Jesus gave his life for us, so we all had to participate in the sacrificial system. They all, not everyone had what they needed, and so out of convenience, people would set up booths near the temple to sell people animals that were used for sacrifices to, to be out of convenience, but convenience turned into profit margin and turned into being exploiting people, and now all of it was, it was a place where people could rip, be ripped off, and Jesus comes in, and he begins to drive out all these people selling stuff from the house of God because he understands that they're not there to, to help people, they're there to hurt people, they're trying to exploit people. Like, can I tell you the first thing that makes Jesus angry is when people are exploited, Right, and Jesus says, I said my house would be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. In John chapter 2, verse number 17. You know, we often say that church is not a building, church is the people. And I understand that mindset, but I want to I call, call your attention to 
the words of Scripture, it says that Jesus was zealous for his house. So though it's accurate that the church is not the building, I think it would be more accurate to say the church is not just the building, right? It includes the building, but it's the people too. Sometimes we think, well, it's just the building, the building, or it's just the people and the building doesn't matter. No, Jesus was passionate about what goes on in the place that bears his name. I believe Jesus is still concerned about what goes on in the places that bear his name. I believe that Jesus is concerned about what goes on in the lives of people that bear his name. That we're supposed to be people who are helpful and not hurting. We're supposed to be people who are exalting Jesus, not exploiting people. So Jesus gets angry when people are being exploited. That's why we as a church, we give to things like Project Rescue, who helps women and children out of sex slavery, not just overseas, but here in America. That's why we challenge you to give to that a lot. We partner with them. Uh, that's why we care about Christian business people. As Christians, we're required to, 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 to do business in a God-honoring way, knowing that we're going to give an account to people. It's not just to whether we whether we made money, but how we made money. Did we, did we do our jobs to help people or to exploit people? Pastors and ministers give an account of the same thing. Did we preach the gospel in a way to help people or to exploit people? The fact that Jesus gets angry when people use his house or his name to exploit people reminds us how much we must focus on our agenda being his agenda. See, Jesus cares about the integrity of his house. We, exalt, we exist to exalt Jesus and expand his kingdom, not exploit people. So if you've ever seen someone being exploited or done wrong, and it makes you angry when you see people being exploited, can I tell you that is a Jesus type of anger. He cares when people are exploited. Here's the second time we find there I'm going to share about when Jesus gets angry. Mark chapter 1, verse number 40. It says, A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. NIV version says, instead of compassion, it says, Jesus was indignant. You know what that means? Upset, angry. He was angry. He reached out his hand and he touched him. He touched the man and said, I am willing to be clean. I read this scripture. The man came to Jesus. He had leprosy. He had an incurable disease. He had a disease that would make him an outcast, but he had faith in Jesus. So he came to Jesus. He kneeled before him. He said, Lord, if you're willing, please make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus was angry. And I read that. He was indignant. I'm like, what's he indignant about? Is he indignant that the man is sick? I mean, it's not his fault. He's sick. Is he angry because this man has no faith? No, he came to Jesus for faith. You can even applaud him for coming to Jesus. What, 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 what was he angry about? He was angered by the condition that the sickness and disease had left this man in. So what does that tell me about the heart of God? It tells me that Jesus cares when I'm sick and when I'm hurting. He is angered by the effects of 
sickness, and disease in our life. Jesus is not, here's what it teaches us, that he is not indifferent to our sickness, our suffering, or our pain. Hebrews chapter 14 says we don't have a high priest who doesn't care about what we go through or is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have a high priest. We have a, a Jesus who in every respect has been tempted as we are but without sin. Jesus is so bothered by our sickness and by our pain that Isaiah reminds us that he was pierced for our transgressions, but he was crushed for our iniquities. But also the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus cares so much about your sickness and your disease in your pain. He said, I'm not going to leave them like I found them, but I'm going to take it to the cross. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to let my body be bruised and beaten so they can have health and healing. Anytime you are suffering in sickness and you think no one cares and God doesn't care, friend, that is a lie from the pits of hell. Jesus cares about you. And he is not indifferent to your situation. Jesus, all through his ministry, healed people. He still heals people today. Some people he heals instantaneous. Just one moment, they're sick. The next moment, they're healthy. One minute, their body doesn't function. Their legs don't work, whatever. The next moment, it's restored. Other people, it's a process. Why does God heal some people one way and other people another way? Why does God do it immediately for some and seems like maybe never for others? I, I don't know the question because I'm, I'm not God. And if you find someone that has the answers to that, let me give you this advice. Run! But we know where all sickness and disease is headed. Because Revelation says that he will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There's going to be no crying there, no death there, no pain there. There shall be no more pain or suffering. Listen, one day in this life or the next life, every bit of sickness and pain will be defeated and any, any hurt, any injury, any limp, anything that has kept you from being everything Jesus has called you to be will be a vapor in the midst of a memory that no longer exists because in that moment when we behold Him, we will behold Him whole and clean forever. Jesus cares about the condition of his people. Number three, Jesus is angered by the indifference of people's hearts. I'm going to read this text to you. Mark chapter 3, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them mainly Pharisees, were looking for an occasion to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they may kill Jesus. For the Pharisees, this man with a shriveled hand, he was just a pawn. 
He was just a person to be used. They didn't care for him at all. I believe that the, the man had a shriveled hand, but the religious leaders had a shriveled heart. They were no longer able to reach out with compassion or love for anyone else. They didn't care how, how, this, how this was going on. The Bible says that Jesus became angry. Well, was he angry at the Pharisees? Was he angry at the people? I think he was really angry by the presence of a stubborn heart. It says, angered by their stubbornness. He's angry by that stubborn spirit that they'd embraced. And I find if I'm not careful, I can develop a stubborn heart. I can, I can see every situation from my vantage point only. Twisted in a way that accomplishes my agenda or proves my point. That's what a stubborn heart does. Stubborn heart only sees things our way. But Jesus saw them and said, don't you understand? Your stubborn heart, the man has a shriveled hand. But you've got a shriveled heart that won't reach out and help the person that's right in front of you. These stubborn hearts didn't allow them to value what Jesus valued most. Well, what does Jesus value most? People, right? Normally, it's right behind me on the stage that people matter to God. This is a case in point where these, to these Pharisees, people did not matter to God. What was their reaction to Jesus when people did not matter to God? That's a question you can answer out loud. What was the reaction when people did not matter to God? Jesus became angry. Do you think Jesus is okay when we are indifferent to the hurting around us? No. Jesus values people. So we got to value people. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me when my stubborn heart allows me to value other things more then I value him. This, this story really, really kind of hit home to me this past week because my grandfather was a master carpenter. Uh, he, he, most of my life, he worked, built homes, built houses, but as a retired gentleman, he, he, uh, he built furniture. He became a pretty sought out after. Uh, people would just find pieces of antique furniture, and he could rebuild it from scratch to make it look like it was original. But, but uh, he had a degenerative issue, and by the time he was probably 60, his left arm shriveled. It was about like that. But just with, you know, a one-arm carpenter, he built hundreds and hundreds of pieces of furniture and lived his whole life that, that way. And then, well, you know what degenerative means, right? You get it, and then your kids get it. My father, same way. By the time he was 60, his hand was like, like that. It was passed on. And, and now I'm not as old as you think I am. 
I, I've started noticing some of that myself, and Megan tells me to go get checked out, but I have a stubborn heart, and I'm not going to. But I'm just saying certain things get kind of passed down from generation to generation. Lord, make sure that we're not inheriting a stubborn heart. Amen? Make sure our heart is always helping us reach out, and go forward, help others, touch others. Number four, Jesus was angered when the weak were marginalized. Mark chapter 10, verse number 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, come on, let, let, let them come to me. And don't hinder them, for the children of God belongs to such as these. You know, in, the, in Jesus' days, there was a lot of people who were marginalized. Children were marginalized. Women were, in a lot of ways, marginalized. If you had any sort of, of uh, physical limitation, you were marginalized. The, many of them, people were having to, to, if you were from a particular pedigree, marginalized. So many of these, there's many people who had to live their whole existence on the fringes of society. And when they kind of, when they try to come to Jesus, the disciples said, oh, wait, 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 wait. We got to make room for the famous, the popular, the wealthy. We got to save the best seats for those who might give the most in the offering. We got to do all these things to make room for the right kind of people. But Jesus he, he sees this going on. He says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. Let them all come to me. It's a gentle reminder to me that I don't get to choose who comes to Jesus. It's my job to point them to Jesus. I point them if they're healthy. I point them if they're sick. I point them if they're a child. I point them if they're a teenager. I point them if they're an adult. I point them to Jesus if they're a senior saint. I point them if they're of this background or that background. I point them if they're of that color or this color. I point them if they're from Arkansas or if they're from Australia. It doesn't matter where they're from, what they've done, where it seems like they're headed. Our job is to point them to Jesus with no questions asked, period. Because there's no one that Jesus can't reach. And you and I are exhibit A. Jesus said it like this, I've come to call the righteous. I'm sorry, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, one of the, one of the qualifying marks that Jesus said about himself, when he was trying to, to, to let people know that I am the Messiah, even though he kind of, really didn't like to just state that publicly very often. When he wanted to let people know who he was, he sent a message to John the Baptist one day, and he said, hey, tell them, tell them the, the lame are walking. Tell them the blind eyes are seeing. But then he said, tell him the good news is preached to the poor. This is not about a social club. This is not about reaching those who look like me and me only. He said, I want, Jesus said, let them come. You know the heart of Jesus today 
is let them come to me. We've got to be careful to be people who are always making way for people to do that, to go to Jesus and not stand in the way of that. Number five, Jesus is angered when people believe their life is hopeless. Why would Jesus be upset when people think their life is hopeless? Here's why he's upset about that. Because it's a lie. It upsets them when we believe lies. In John chapter 11, Jesus shows up at the scene of Lazarus, his friend, passing away. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus knew this in his mind. The word says in verse number 33, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He's upset. It says again in verse number 38, when they showed him the tomb where they had buried Lazarus, he looked once more and was deeply moved. The wording of that in the original language can mean anger, disturbed. Because a stone had been laid across the entrance. Two times when Jesus, two times in the story we see where, where he was angered by grief and by a stone. I, I look at that and, and I thought, why was he upset when he knew and just moments from now he's going to say these words, Lazarus, Come forth. And the one who's been dead for four days is about to walk out of the tomb. But he's upset. Do you know why Jesus is upset here? How do you feel? Let me pick on Kevin. I don't think he'll hit me. How do you feel when your enemy gets in your face? Do you understand what was going on at the tomb of Lazarus? The enemy was getting in the face of Jesus. See, 1 Corinthians, verse number 15, says the last enemy to be defeated was death. I feel like I might get emotional here for just a minute. But can I tell you, when Jesus arrived on the scene, Mary and Martha said, Jesus, if you would have been here, it would have been different. And death is smiling at Jesus. Death is laughing in the face of Jesus. Faith, death is saying, listen, Jesus, these, some of your best friends are losing faith in you because, look, I have taken and defeated the one you love. But Jesus reminds death that, listen, you may not be defeated in this moment, but you're about to be defeated in the next moment. Because when he said, Lazarus, come forth, both death, hell, and the grave was put on notice, your power is leaving planet Earth, and resurrection power has walked onto the planet. And when we forget that Jesus is still Lord and still mighty. He reminds us that our hope is still secure. 
The heart of Jesus is displayed when he got angry in the face of death because he cared about, listen to this, he cared about the anguish of Mary and Martha. He cares about, you know, as a kid, my favorite memory, my favorite memory verse was from this story. When I, when I as a kid, when I went to kids' church to get in the door, you had to quote a scripture. Right? How many know what my favorite scripture was from this passage? Lift your hand if you know. All the Bible scholars, lift your hand, all right? Shortest scripture in the Word of God is found in this text. Jesus wept. So I'd try, to get in, try to get in kids' church as a kid. Greg, what's your scripture? Jesus wept. <laughs> Granted. Right? But those two words let us know that Jesus cares about the mental health, the emotional health, the grief of his people. That moment of anger lets us know that he is, he is set on defeating death in every one of our lives. And he never wants any of us to live a life that is hopeless. So I've got a few closing questions for you this morning. Number one, first question is this. Are we angry about the right things? If what bothers Jesus never bothers us, that might be an indicator that what we love most are different from the things that he loves the most. If I have no concern about those being exploited, marginalized, or the hurting, I have to remember Jesus does, so, so should I. If I don't have concern about people's indifference to the things of God or the gospel, Jesus does. If I have no concern for the anguish and the hurt or grief people are going through, I need to remember Jesus does. If I get more upset about the person that cuts me off in traffic than I do about the person in the cubicle next to me that doesn't know Jesus, then, then I have to make sure, am I getting angry about the right things? Number two, do I let anger drive me to the right responses? See, Jesus got upset in every one of these five stories I just shared with you, but he never sinned. He took action, but he never sinned. Sometimes I feel like we read that scripture, in your anger, do not sin. And we feel like, okay, so that means when I get angry, I need to put handcuffs, handcuffs on my wrist and duct tape on my mouth and just go, mm, and not do anything until I get over it. And what happens to most of us is we explode because we don't get over it. Jesus didn't put tape on his mouth or handcuffs on his hands. Instead of getting angry and letting his anger drive him to sin, he let his anger drive him to doing something that brought help to the situation. Some people use anger as an excuse to do the wrong thing. Jesus used anger as an opportunity to do the right thing. Number three, don't allow anger to fester. Did you notice Jesus got angry, but he didn't stay angry? Anger is kind of like a splinter. If you don't get it out, it gets infected. That's why Ephesians says don't give the enemy a, 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 an opportunity, a foothold in your anger. Number four, 
Fourth question, do I allow anger to manifest too quickly? Now, I'm not, I haven't done tons and tons of research. You can go home and do this if you want to. I'm not going to tell you these are the only five times in the Bible where Jesus got angry. There might be more. I shared this message in men's prayer this morning. Someone else pointed out another point or two where Jesus may have lost his cool. But I, I will say this. Most of us, when we come, our image of Jesus, it doesn't, you are to, you would not describe him as an angry person, right? Nor should you. Because he did not let his anger rule the moments. The same should be true with us. When people experience us, they should experience our passion, not our anger. We should be known by our love, not by people walking around livid all the time about what's going on. So I want you to bow your heads this morning. We're going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate in water baptism. There's two points of prayer this morning. Number one, I also want to make sure that I stress this. In none of these five occasions where Jesus shared, let us have a little bit of insight to what angered him, in none of those moments does it say that Jesus was angry at people. He was angry. He was angry at the condition of some people's hearts. But he wasn't, he wasn't just angry at a person. I say all that to say this. Jesus is not angry at you. Rather, he is passionate about your life being whole and abundant. Because that's what he came to deliver to you, that you may have life and life to the full. And today, you're, you say, Pastor, I have been easily angered. Maybe you would define your life as a life that is ruled by or driven by anger. The reason anger drives our life is because our love for something or someone, which can be ourself, overrules, at least in a moment, our love for someone else or other things. And today, the way you begin to circumvent that and cure that as you let Jesus heal it by putting him first. You love him first. And then he begins to help you put in line correctly those things. So you start getting angered by what should bring grief to your heart and not by lesser things. And today, if you're not a Jesus follower, but you know you need to be, and today the Spirit of God is, is drawing you to become a Jesus follower. Maybe for the first time or your relationship with him has been dormant for decades. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward. But I do want to know to pray for you this morning. Just lift a hand real quick. Says me, Pastor, pray for me. Amen. 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 Father, I pray for those hands across this room. God, none of us want to live lives that are defined by arrogance. I'm sorry, by anger. But we do want to live lives that are defined by passion. 
and passion, love for the things that you love, first and foremost being you. So, Father, I'm thankful that John, 1 John, speaks, I believe it's in verse number 10, that says if we will confess our sin to you, that, Lord, you would be so faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, eradicate from our heart, our life, from our account, everything that is not right with you. Father, we just do that right now. We confess our sin to you. Lord, we, we have been, we've been so consumed with other things besides Jesus. Lord, forgive me of that. Forgive us of that today. Lord, we've been angry about the wrong things instead of passionate about the right things. Forgive us today. And from this moment forward, we decide we're going to be passionate about the right things. We're going to love you. We believe you're the Son of God. We believe you forgave us of our sins. We believe that you lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and Lord, you're you're alive today, ready to heal us, forgive us, redeem us, and restore us, and lead us in a life that's full and abundant. Lord, do that for every friend that lifted their hand today. I pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Number two, I want to ask you to open your eyes and look at me. Sorry your prayers didn't make me better looking, but this is just what you get? Man to man, pastor congregation, I'm asking myself this. I'm not picking on you. The Holy Spirit's been picking on me this question. If I were to ask myself the last five things that made me angry, are they things that God cares about? Are they things that just I care about? Is it because, do I get angry because of the people I love and the things that God tells me to love? Or do I get angry because I'm I'm in love with me and my way? If, If our lives are driven by love for ourselves, then anger's gonna rule the day. But if our lives are driven by our love for God and people, then our anger is going to be a different kind of anger. It's going to be the kind of anger we see in Jesus with his passion to see righteousness done and his will be done. So Holy Spirit, reveal to us the best way to live our life that leads people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.